Hey everybody, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is Friday, January 1st, 2021. Believe it or not, this is uh, episode 649. Happy New Year! I hope everybody had a, a really great New Year. Uh, uh, well, at the very least, giving the uh, middle finger to 2020, which for most of the world, if not most Americans, was the worst year I think we can all agree on one thing. This was, 2020 was the worst year in our lives. So 2021 can't really do too bad, if you think of it that way. I mean, it should be, by all accounts, not the worst year. Maybe uh, a good year, even. We'll try to remain hopeful. Now, listen, last week, I did not post it. It was the, 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 we're in the thick of the holiday season, and I just decided in a last-minute decision to, to give myself a week off from working on the show, which is very, very, very rare. I don't know if anybody noticed. That's the sad part. However, this is episode 649. We have, I've, I've grabbed a couple of recent segments that have been on the YouTube channel, but not been on the podcast. So hopefully we'll reach a bunch more people with these two really great guests. One is uh, Guy Pigden, who is a Kiwi filmmaker, and uh, he was in New Zealand when we did this interview. Uh, Ken, I guess if you'd prefer to watch it, you can on the YouTube channel. We're discussing his movie. It's a romantic comedy called Older, which is available right now on Amazon Prime. And we'll even play you uh, a bit of the uh, trailer here. And then we're going to go into a conversation with this really uh, entertaining young filmmaker, all the way from Dinanda. And then uh, we will then switch gears and talk to the critic and film writer, Armand White, making a return to the podcast. He was on a few months ago, actually, with uh, a book that he collaborated on called The Press Gang, and he's now back with a new collection of, of his writing about the movies, not just all I guess criticism, let's just call it criticism. It's a book of his past criticism over the years on the topic of Steven Spielberg films. It's called Make Spielberg Great Again. I was happy to have Armand back on the show. So let's go into first here a conversation with Guy Pigden. Again, I was here in New York. Guy was uh, down in, uh, in, in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, we had a good time meeting and uh, having a chat about his movie and other things like that. And then we'll be back to introduce Armand. Guy Pigden, here on Film Wax Radio. Someone's going to visit you. Did you see that, Alex? He smiled at you. Which hold him for a minute. I just don't want to drop him on his head or don't something. Don't be silly. It's a baby. They don't bite. No, this is... Uh, one, please. Better make it two. Oh, sorry. Jenny. Alexander. Uh, Your hair has a lot more grey in it. It's also thinning. And you look exactly the same as high school. Apart from all the wrinkles. What's going on with you in filmmaking? Not much. I'm also living with my parents again. 
Oh my god. Do you still have a thing for Stephanie? Correction, we still have a thing for each other. It's just that there's been all this build up and I feel like if it's not the most amazing magical thing in the whole world, you'll think we failed. Oh, I think that. Hi. Come on in. Look what I found. No. Do we have to? What do you do when your dream comes true and nothing happens? Get a new dream, I guess. Hey, man, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm I'm good, I'm good. Um, Is everything, like, in terms of your, uh, in terms of my audio and everything, is everything fine? Indeed. You sound good. Great. Um, How are you, man? All right, how are you? I'm good. I uh, uh, I'm very pleased that uh, we get an opportunity to speak and um, that uh, you enjoyed the film and uh, you know it's entertaining. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I obviously been listening to your podcast and um, thank you. I thought they um, when you said like you know I'm not sure what I could do, but I can sort of shine a light on films. And I thought that was uh, I just thought that was an awesome. Uh, sentiment and something that is is incredibly sort of valuable in these sort of COVID times. So yeah, yeah, really awesome. Oh well, thank you. I I glad that people are connecting to that. At least some of the population in our country is. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, um, um, you guys, <laughs> you guys will have a new president soon. Will which who will hopefully be taking some measures yeah. to. <laughs> We might we might reestablish uh, our relationship with uh, New Zealand. Uh, yeah, I, I, I certainly or, hope so. <laughs> I don't know how much of how closely we work together in a in a uh, you know geopolitical sense, but whatever it is, it'll it's probably going to get better again. I don't know. Yes, we've, all, we've become such isolationists. It's been such a four year nightmare. You know. I yeah. Oh, like 100%. Yeah, uh, it's crazy for us, the rest of the world, to see it from the outside looking in, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and see a, a country that is, um, uh, or a president that is so unpresidential. I think it's just, you know, there's there's so many things wrong with it, but I guess we could go on all day talking about yeah. uh, all now, that sort of thing. Now, one thing so, I'm yeah. noticing before, Guy, before we yes. continue, is that you're, um, you're looking off. So yes. I'm, you're looking at me, but I'm not. I'm probably okay. over there somewhere, but not in your cameras. In a, on another screen, maybe? Yeah, let me just shift. Do that is so the, it looks for, for viewers. Yeah. You're is closer. that better? Yeah, it's a lot better. You're looking... Up a little bit, but that's even. But it's still much better. I'm probably looking not. I'm not in a good habit yeah, of looking, so into, looking the, into the camera all the time because it's just not a natural. I'd prefer looking at my, you know, my guest. Yeah, but that's that's fine. Thanks. Sweet. Uh, so you're not the first New Zealander. I don't know if you've done any due diligence, but you know you're not the first New Zealander on my show. I'm a little this- bit disappointed, actually. <laughs> I kind of thought that I might be. Oh well, I'll purge him. <laughs> no, but you are the first that I'm, you know, that I'm where you're pers- New Zealander, where I'm actually podcasting, you know, from your where you're in New Zealand. Like I the see. only other New Zealander, I think, unless I'm forgetting somebody, was in New York. In fact, he had a sh- film in the Brooklyn Film Festival, which I'm sure sound sounds even more 
uh, impressive than it really is. It's actually kind of like a very local festival. But, um, and this guy, he had a very good film. It was really good. And I, I, you know, we ended up having nowhere to meet. Mm-hmm. And as I, this was obviously so far before COVID uh, that, you know, the idea of doing this in any other way, I, just, I would just see, seemed like he was in New York, let's meet in person. And so we ended up shooting, uh, rather recording it in Central Park. <laughs> so it was kind of, that's great. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fine. We sat on a park bench. And you know it was just audio, so you know. That's awesome. Who was it? What was what was? His I knew name? you were going to ask. Or what was the I name of the film? Look. I meant to look too. I forgot his name now, which is really embarrassing because there's a good ch- chance he might watch this. Can, uh, can you remember the name of the film? I, I I'm going to edit this so yeah. I don't sound like a complete you know <laughs> jerk. And, yeah. But I'm going to look it up because um, I'll do it through the phone so I don't. Yeah, because I have sort of a notes on everybody who comes on, and I'm sure he he had the strongest film, I think, and he ended up winning the. I think he ended up winning at least one of the prizes in the festival because right, uh, it really was a strong, well well acted, uh, ca- a really good act um, cast. It's okay. You are you are you okay with time though? Or it's yeah, man. I've got all the time in the world. I uh, okay. It's early evening, right? It is. Um, I'm I'm we we're actually having uh like the. I guess the the New Zealand industry is having their guild event uh, Christmas party this evening, so I will uh, at some point be going off to that. But that's not for a couple of hours yet. So, oh well, yeah. that sounds like so. It, uh, that leads me to believe that New Zealand has gotten beyond the pandemic. You're right. So, like we we've had two lockdowns over here, uh, specifically where I live, which is Auckland city has had two lockdowns and the country as a whole has had one lockdown. Um, after that lockdown, uh, subsequently we've managed to have no community transmission. So essentially, and because we're an Island, so we have everyone come in, they have a 14 day quarantine where they're tested, I think three times and then obviously released subsequent to that. Um, if they're, if then uh, don't have COVID and that system uh, has worked generally speaking. So now we're back to having events and stuff like that. There's still, um, you know, you can, you still have to scan in to places and stuff like that. To, um, so people can track where you're going and that sort of thing. And there's still Crazy. sort of safety protocols around wearing masks on uh, public transport and that sort of thing. But generally speaking, life is almost normal um and and sort of has been for for some time well good on you as yeah we, uh, as we say in the states <laughs> very very um, fortunate and with the inevitable introduction of of the vaccine over the next 12 months it's only mm. going to get more normal yes. you know yes yeah that's good news so i found it i i, I found uh, the filmmaker's name is dustin finley dustin finley with mega and- time squad was it the name of the film is called uh, yes stray right yes i uh i do know dustin just uh very sort of um uh, sort of just as an acquaintance and i uh uh, i actually had a chat with him at one of the last guild parties that i went to about his process of uh, making stray because he raised all the money uh, or most of the money himself by 
you know, through uh, basically calling investors. And uh, it was a crazy, crazy story. But uh, yes. I guess the, the lengths that you go to to uh, to get your films done. And uh, yeah, he and was that, I, awesome guy. Yeah, and I think that if I remember, it's been um, about a year and a half, roughly, since he was on. But I recall the... I got very interested in hearing him talk about raising money and what, what he went through. There were some issues with the either production or distribution or something. Well, it couldn't have been distribution yet because it was still on the festival circuit, mm. obviously, but there was something going on with, I know with the production of the, the film that where there were some challenges and there were certain things he could and couldn't really discuss. Right. Yes. Well, so, I probably shouldn't say too much in case I. Um, well, I think say it's that, Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm sure it's fine now. Yeah, but it's worth listening to if you get a chance. It's um. I will absolutely. Is that on June? the June? Uh, okay. Yeah. It. Well, actually, this is interesting. You know what? I actually think it's only on the. I don't think I put it on the podcast. I think it only made it to also to the YouTube channel. Okay. Because I'll of just I was overextending at the. I didn't realize how much I was overextending at the time. Now tell me, older, which is your film, mm. uh, your your rom com. Yes, <laughs> is it that is available streaming platform? So you are you are done. That's right. Sorry, it's available now on Amazon Prime and Tubi and Google Play, and it will be sort of, I imagine, released on uh, you, uh, YouTube TV or what YouTube Films or whatever it is, and uh, okay. probably a bunch of other streaming in the sort of upcoming months. But uh, yes, so it's sort of available in all English-speaking territories via Amazon Prime at the moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a terrific film. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's it's very funny. It's uh, sexy. It's uh, the cast is great. The leading man, <laughs> is, you know, yeah, he, uh, he I don't know where he found the guy, but <laughs> I think you could do better. So I'll yeah, maybe for the next one, I can. <laughs> uh, well, you wrote it and directed it. And yes, I did. Yeah, that's a quite a bit to uh was i mean i guess you have to really lean on your crew then right certain key members of your crew in order to juggle those those balls right Keep them yeah all ab- absolutely so i i wrote directed edited and produced and to, to to some actually degree. editing seems might it might then them are you an editor by i i am by necessity uh, more oh. than so i've sort of i've edited quite a lot of my own projects through the years or come on and assist and edited. Um, like I have a certain style and a certain way that I like to cut, which I have found that editors have struggled to get the rhythm of quite, I guess, um, when I've worked with other people. So um, I, I, so that was, but the editing was maybe the trickiest because you sort of do lose your objectivity and you sort of can obviously hundred percent lose your perspective at times um, when you're sort of deep into it. But yes, I, I absolutely lean very much on my crew, especially my sort of director of photography, Adam St. John to sort of really um, push through in terms of how we were going to set up the, set set up the scenes and, and sort of block everything. I would sort of be like, well, you do your thing, man. And then I'm going to work on (laughs) my performance and, and sort of, uh, and how we, get through that so you think about the technical and i'll focus on the emotion sort of thing and and so i, I certainly leaned very heavily on him um 
throughout the process and also everyone you know that that was working on it you know was ready to sort of to pitch in and, and do right. whatever they needed to do how much so this also i imagine anytime you make a film the pre-production the amount of work you do ahead of time which is i guess editing on a some level i mean if mm. you think about it will benefit you right so especially if you're directing and acting in it during the production yes. so right so you plot it out i mean how much of that blocking and of the of that kind of specific production work do you work out ahead of time well i mean the script came together pretty quickly in terms of like it sort of came together over a couple of months and then mm-hmm. there was sort of quite of a uh, an intensive rewriting process when i was working with the with the actors specifically so we had mm-hmm. sort of cast and uh, as we were sort of rehearsing, I was rewriting at the same time. If anything, I would have said that I probably could have done another couple of passes of the script because I think the initial script was maybe a, a 120 or 130 pages. So it was it was very dense with dialogue and a lot of the stuff that I ended up cutting out that I thought ultimately was not necessary or could be said without saying anything uh was you know stuff that then adds you know hours or or days to the production and so if i had been a little bit more discerning in that process but it was kind of i was rushing towards a window of time which we had like an opening to shoot. So my director of photography was available uh, to come over because he's normally based in Australia. Um, And he was sort of uh, available to come over and film. I had sort of a block of uh, time off that I was leading up to away from my day job. And I also, I was actually in the middle of post-production on my first feature film, um, which was, so I kind of was stepping away from that at the same time. So I, we we sort of had to jump right into it and jump out, but it, but it also meant then that the like the post-production process is extended because the edits and sort of rewriting and a bit of reshooting and mm-hmm. that massaging of it uh, was more unpolished by the end of then than it could have been had I probably invested a little bit more time. But I guess that whole process was, I guess, over a, maybe three, three or four months before we sort of jumped into the actual shoot. Um, so it sort of came together very quickly because you know, the idea was, you know, this is a, a sort of a micro budget film. This is a very low budget film. So um, the idea was to move quickly on it. Um, it was just the, unfortunately, that <laughs> the post-production part of it did not maintain that level of um, uh, urgency. Oh, okay. Yeah, momentum is a better way to put it. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, okay. So that was the issue. Yeah. What is the relationship between the film community uh, or the film industry and um, the the government or uh, is there a program set up for helping with financing for film in New Zealand? There is. So essentially over here, what we have is the New Zealand Film Commission and the Film Commission is like a, a, a sort of a, a government entity or that dispense grants to make films over here. And that is actually the primary way that films are made over here. So everyone goes to the film commission with their film idea they're given development money to write a script or um, maybe even to develop a sort of a proof of concept Uh, and then you sort of go through stages so they sort of you go through round one and then you do a rewrite you go through round two and then you're trying to attach maybe overseas investment and then it's on to you know uh, 
uh, pre-production and sort of so you kind of have to make it past three or four steps to actually get to shooting your film and it normally involves having to have a overseas uh, sales agent and uh-huh. uh, and and some level of investment from an overseas company as well so the film commission used to outright sort of fun films and I think now there has to be uh, some monetary commitment from elsewhere as well um, huh. before it's, I could, I could be wrong about that. But so my first film was funded through the film commission. I was hopeful that they would be interested in this one. Um, and I brought it to them at the script stage and they were not interested. And I sort of, uh, you know, I guess partly out of like, uh, you know, like hubris, I was sort of like, well, you know, I can do it myself then. And, um, and I'll, I'll sort of prove that it was, you know, I'll show you their mistake. Yeah. 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 This Um, might be in the the territory where Dustin and I were in. I don't know, but what was, did you get feedback about why they weren't eager to support your film? Not really. I think that if I'm being sort of, you know, reflective and honest with myself, uh, the film commission gives you one shot to to like because they, they they sort of give you one shot and they don't tell you that they give you one shot and they none of this is uh explicit in any way because they can't be explicit but they sort of give you one chance and if you don't hit it out of the park and i mean way out of the park peter then, jackson out of the park yeah peter jackson out of the park but even he came back in a different time with the film commission where you know his he was championed as a director and um and even though you know like if you look back at bad taste while it was a remarkable achievement for you know the way that he did it it, it may be what it, it, it maybe it showed promise i guess and then he would go on to make you know truly great things after the fact but bad taste itself was maybe not that you know that masterpiece you know it, it is kind of a, a a very funny but you know schlocky b movie and so I thought that, you know, I had, uh, I had, you know, hit it far enough out that maybe, you know, but my first film was still not finished. And I think that they had a sort of a wait and see mentality. And so they weren't going to support anything that I was going to do. And I'm just speculating here until that film had come out until that had, had been a proven thing. But, you know, a lot of the times you don't necessarily know exactly why or why not you do receive funding it it seems to be you know trends at the time what they're sort of interested in at the time and that can vary from you know year to year and from regime to regime Mm -hmm. Um, so all of those things are kind of a bit of a guessing game and also fundamentally at the end of the day their job is to say no to people because they have to reject essentially, you know, 90 plus percent of the work that is submitted, um, you know, to them. And, you know, that was fairly competitive, obviously. Absolutely. I didn't realize that. Okay. And so, you know, I was kind of galvanized to, to try and, because I thought, well, we, one of my thoughts was, well, we can't all, go running with our hands out to the film commission every time we want to make a film it's just not it isn't sustainable and so how do we you know kind of maybe create a bit more of a culture where you know this is uh this is something that we can do and maybe we'll get some post money from them or something like that or or whatever so we you know how can we sort of 
change this and how can I sort of, I guess, take the power back in the sense of rather than being only beholden to this one entity. And, and I still have that feeling that that's something that uh, we as filmmakers here in New Zealand need to think more about is, is how do we not have to rely on them all the time? Because you can't. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very different to, um, uh, America where it's it's a business right uh, and the, the, it's the film business and, and and whereas here it's it's much more uh, like the metric and measurement is not whether your film necessarily makes a lot of money in fact most films lose money it's more about did it get into good festivals did it did it win some awards did, was it you know right. well reviewed yeah, um, different litmus or a series absolutely of yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, that's what what sort of in a in a sense what the podcast is about are are those films that you're describing. You know, it's I don't really make a point of covering the business, the Hollywood side of it, because mm-hmm. they have enough <laughs> they yes, resource, they resources, <laughs> right? Yeah. Back to the original, the original, your your original paraphrasing, and and what is your sense of how? I mean, uh, you're in Auckland. What, is that like a state? Uh, it's a city, so it's it's the city. Okay, it's it's the biggest city in New Zealand. Um, right. Oh, okay. you know, let me um, rephrase then. So, so you're in the biggest city in New Zealand. Yeah, and I suppose that's probably where the majority of of filmmakers uh, live. Yes. So, uh, like, I guess the largest chunk of the film industry is based here in Auckland. There is another significant chunk that is based in Wellington, which is where Peter Jackson. Uh, resides and his his companies do um, so a lot of filming on sort of bigger bigger films and where to workshop all or like all those things are down there so between Wellington and Auckland but Auckland certainly would be taking a majority of the the commercials of television and and certainly films and tv series that are shot would would be mainly here and in fact that's why I originally moved you know to the quote unquote big city uh, was for the uh, the film industry. And my, I, I originally lived in uh, a, a, a town, a small city called Dunedin, which is at the bottom of the South Island and, and much, much smaller and really not that much going on in terms of a, a film industry. What, what, what's the sort of sense of the size of the film community? I mean, are you talking about where you're col- maybe somebody like yourself, uh, somebody who considers themselves a uh, film director, filmmaker. Are we talking about maybe a couple of hundred people? Yeah, maybe a couple of, yeah, maybe a couple of hundred with another, you know, few, like few hundred, you know, sort of up and comers maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, people that are breaking in. Um, I I would say that's probably accurate of if you're, certainly if you're describing, you know, writer directors or directors, um, that would be probably about the, the spectrum um at the moment yeah i think that's pretty accurate mm-hmm. and uh is i i certain there's a film at least a couple of film schools um, uh, in auckland yes that's right there's um there's two two i think two film schools and there's one in wellington as well um mm-hmm. the, the most well known is called the the south seas film school which uh, a lot of people um, have been to at, at some point or another so there are a few film schools nothing like what you have in america with well you know, yeah. ucla and and you know not on nyu nyu thank you yeah, sorry no um, <laughs> yeah. um nothing on that level um but uh definitely right. well a, that's a also yeah. you know i mean in the scheme of things it's not is is 
there's a lot of film schools now, but it wasn't always that way. You know, the mm. last 30, like festivals too, you know, they've just sort of with the Exploded. advent of, with the advent of, of inexpensive filmmaking, you know, came yes. film schools and film festivals. And, yeah. So have you had a chance, have you had an opportunity to come to the States yet? Yes. So for my first uh, feature film, uh, I went to the, uh, uh, which is called I Survived a Zombie Holocaust, which is very much in the uh, I Survived a Zombie Holocaust. Oh, right. Yes. uh, So it's very much in the spirit of Peter Jackson's uh, brain. Right. Did Uh, that get into the Jewish film festivals? Probably not. Um, (laughs) um, Obviously. Yeah. The title is... To be honest, something that I regret not so much because whether or not it's in poor taste, but more because, uh, like, you know, I'm thinking of Cannibal Holocaust and the original Zombie Holocaust. There is films um, with what I'm referencing to, but for the general public, they They don't have any awareness of that. Um, And, you know, even to get sort of a little bit deeper into it, the naming was something that the lead character in the film would name his film, which was kind of cheesy and kind of, um, you know, like an homage to that. But again, to people that aren't sort of filmmakers, this is really completely irrelevant. Um, So, uh, you know, like I, you know, I thought I was being clever and I was being too clever for my own good. So, you know, had I, you know, could I rename that now? Yes, possibly. But um, it's all sort of, you know, you know, that's what it's called now. And But if I had like a, a take back on that film, it would probably be just changing the title because it's even just like getting people to watch that. It's probably not at all what you expect, but um, it's hard necessarily to sell people on that. Um, obviously there is no, (laughs) it's got nothing to do with the real Holocaust at all. Um, you know, we're talking about the, the, the mass dying or the mass, uh, uh, termination of zombies. Um, you know, but again, perhaps. No, no, I, I, yeah, of course. No, no, I, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. (laughs) You have a good sense of humor. So I'm, I'm appreciate that. Yeah. Well, the new one is, uh, it's just called Older, a, a potentially less controversial title. Yes. <laughs> you know, which is, <laughs> and uh, I really didn't know what to expect. I'm pleased that you reached out to me. Uh, you know, I do encourage it and people do reach out. And what was always my, you know, I mean, uh, trust me, I mean, I've got, I've got my small little operation here as well, mm. but you know, my, my, I guess intention from the start was that I would really watch anything people sent me, you know? Right. And, you know, people would say, can I do your podcast? What have you? I said, well, I, I do have to see the film first, yes. you know, I wouldn't. And then based on what my feeling is, and it's just my taste, you know, I'm going to, or sometimes I see there's something in the, in the project that is would spurs like I what I would think is a good conversation like maybe mm. uh maybe I would have you on with the film even if I didn't think you know zombie holocaust was let's say my cup of tea yes. but I said but but wait you had these the nerve to call it that that's kind of conversation <laughs> you know could potentially be a reason why I might invite some you yes. know you never know in this case it was the quality of the film you know it's it's it, it's um it kind of just has a uh a, a certain you know, uh, uh, aspects to it that are 
are very traditional, but yes. uh, you know, you 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 have a, a fresh energy in it, and um, uh, it, I, I guess in this time, uh, there's a lot of uh, I don't know, maybe cynical uh, yes. uh, feelings about the rom com, about romantic comedies. Let's let's maybe it's the rom com. It's time to let that term go. That might be part of it. Maybe we yep. need to all these you know romantic comedies and i watch a lot of them you know like i had i I was just actually posting something uh with this author who wrote a book on cary grant and of course cary grant so much like yourself uh well so many similarities yeah hey look you know you're a young man you have a lot of time ahead but he did so many of those screwball comedies back in the 30s and 40s into the 50s and i was been watching them the classics you know and it's it's so rare to see well you know just solid uh films like that again and so your character is um what's his name alex alex very you know we don't uh obviously a new zealand name uh, very hard to pronounce uh <laughs> i don't know what i'm going on about but anyway so and he kind of you know, at that juncture where, you know, he's grappling with, with these, you know, two kind of relationships and, and yes. kind of has a foot in both and, and, and is, has, has difficulty kind of uh, committing to what, what it is he really wants. And so, I don't know, was this based on any, anything that uh, you may have experienced in your life? Maybe not literally, but. Oh, look, absolutely. I would be lying if I did not say, you know, there was an element of, you know, uh, semi-autobiographical, you know, nature to the story. And uh-huh. I think that um, we've all, you know, met, well, I'm not, maybe I'm uh, overgeneralizing here, but I think that we've all met, uh, you know, Jennies and Stephanies in our life. They're the two lead characters um, and the two types of people and the and kind of falling in love with a fantasy and perhaps ignoring um, something that's much more real and authentic uh, in favor of the potential of this fantasy, which is never really necessarily true. And so I guess my whole intention for the film was, you know, as you said, like I'm not a big rom-com guy personally, but I am a big fan of sort of, you know, early um, Woody Allen films and Richard Linklater. And um, I guess what I would define as the, the the midnight films. Yeah. I love the huge inspiration before sunrise sunset. And I mean, before um, right, right. This um, trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so I just like those walkie talkie types of films where, you know, nothing too much happens, but we try and explore some interesting ideas and, you know, everything seems real and authentic. And I think my issue with rom-coms has always been that they all seem so false. And what I wanted to try and do is, I guess, fit within the formula of a rom-com, but try and tell a much more honest, uh, sort of realistic um, sort of love story and so that was my sort of my my motivation and my sort of uh, inspiration for, for doing this and um, also to get a, as far away as I could from from sort of zombies and heads exploding and uh, all that sort of thing because I love genre films I'm a huge huge uh, horror fan uh, but I have uh, at that time, especially at, in, in that time when I first started the film, like back in 2013, I had, I was so burnt out with working on the first film and, and the sort of demands of that, that I, 
I had lost my my love at that time of the genre and I just wanted to go in completely the opposite direction. Um, so all of those things sort of led me to to the story of, of older. And of course, I, I, I guess it refers to getting older. <laughs> That's right. And, and kind of like sometimes you're dragged into it, you know, or kind of like the people that care about you are kind of like saying, you know, it's kind of time to grow up, you know? Yeah. And uh, Alex certainly is at that juncture in the film. And, um, yes, and well, yeah. What were you I mean, our, well, our generation uh, particularly has had the opportunity for a very extended adolescence um, in the way that our parents certainly did not have. So, you know, That's when you, point as you turned a certain age, you, you married someone and you had kids and that's just what you did. And that's what everyone did. And now there's a much more, there's, there's much less pressure necessarily to do that. Uh, and there's a much more sort of, there's a group of people that uh, are sort of completely unwilling to, to do that. And Alex sort of falls somewhere in that uh, category. It's certainly at the start of the film where it's just this almost denial of those types of things. But I mean, as we, as we do, I think what you find is that, you know, your, your friends do mature around you and you, you sort of either get left behind or you sort of catch back up because, you know, people are still doing these things, whether it's just a little bit later or not, you know, these things happen. We still get together. We still um, find partners and have kids and all that sort of thing. You know, the world does not stop turning, but it's just having, I guess, that exploring the idea of, you know, what a, someone stuck in that gray in between zone and, and the reluctance to, to dip their toe into to all of those things, all of what you would call, I guess, adulthood to some degree. It's a good point. I think we've extended the generation here. I mean, we have the same sort of phenomenon in this country as well. Mm. You know, this interminable uh, adolescence. Yes. You know, yeah. where, you know, you can, uh, it's impressive how long you can keep it going if you really, if you That's want right. to. Yeah, I think what I was trying to say too, at least to some degree, is is by resisting all of that stuff, you you are actually, I guess, losing out on a significant part of of life, of what life can be and what life can mean, and you you won't realize that unless you you know at some point and embrace those things to some degree uh this is coming from a man who is not married and does not have any kids but uh um i i do have a long-term partner who i live with and I'm sort of very happy so it's uh, you know i think that um <laughs> it, it, it is a very interesting um uh concept of 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 you know you know can you really like live life and, and sort of really experience life if you shut yourself off to all those things? And I'm certainly not sure that you can. Shutting off things like you're saying, uh, I guess sort of, which, pure, I mean, shutting off things is in like the postponing of maturity. That's right. I guess that and those sort of things like, that come with that. Yeah, that's sort of Michael Jackson, Peter Pan syndrome, really, mm-hmm. um, where there's just this, well, no, I don't want to do any of those things. I don't want to accept these adult responsibilities. Like, I can't, I want to remain too, uh, I guess, uh, this. I want to sort of look inwardly to myself rather than love or care uh, about someone else as, as much as I do myself, whether that is a child or a partner. Um, those types of things, you know, the yeah, uh, right. sort of finding a level of um, 
uh, empathy and humility, uh, humility um, that, you know, all, all those things that are probably vital to being a, a right. well-balanced and a relation, person. Right. And a, and a committed relationship sort of does kind of sum it all up in a way, like, it's, it's, it, because it's a thing where it's always about compromise versus, um, yes. you know, selfish or self-directed instincts yep. or motivations, because, you know, you, you, you want to be in a relationship where you don't have to give too much where you feel like you are lost or That's who you right. are is being compromised. And at the same time, though, it's all about figuring things out. Yeah. So everybody's you know, feeling everybody's happy and uh, feeling like they're being uh, heard, you know, and yeah. Uh, you know, and also, I guess, having the, um, you know, a, uh, I guess, uh, being willing to, to, to put your feelings out to, to, to get a little bit lost, um, you know, as in to lose yourself and someone else um, and and sort of uh, to care about someone so much that, you know, their state of mind and their feelings uh, greatly affect your own um, rather than walling yourself off and sort of being uh, emotionally protecting yourself. Well, Again, the name of the film is is called Older, directed by Guy Pigden. Is it Pigden? Yeah, I'm very happy you got that right. Uh, I, I actually meant to bring that up to begin with because a oh, lot of too. people, uh, a lot of people think that it's pigeon or pigeon or uh, some variation of that. But no, you got it right. It's Pigden, like a pig in in a den. Uh, that's me, Pigden. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, I've I've certainly had my own name mispronounced. Uh, enough times <laughs> one too many consonants i guess or something i'm not sure what it yeah. is anyway and uh it is on amazon you said amazon prime yep that's right uh you can see it now on amazon prime uh it's quote unquote free as in if you're a prime member you can just stream it now it's also on 2b tv with some ads sprinkled in there um and you can also find all the links to it if you're uh if you need to search olderfilm.com, that's our website. It's got all the details there and, and you can find all that stuff. It's been a delight getting to know you and I look forward to your coming back. Well, I know you With- often say this to your guests. Uh, you look forward to them coming back. And uh, I noticed that you have many guests that do come back. So I'm sincerely going to hold you to that. And I will be back with my next one. So I uh, really appreciate that. And I appreciate you uh, giving me your time and, and having a great chat. It's my pleasure. Yeah, no, and uh, pre- I'm glad it worked out so easily. I've had a couple of, I have an Australian friend i suppose uh she's uh uh you know who's come on i've had a number of occasions where i had to time this so i kind of had a sense yes you're 18 <laughs> hours ahead so you're you're well ahead in on wednesday already i hope it's it's a good day and yeah uh, terrible weather over here has been a storm over here but it's just probably getting back to Maybe being have normal to dress now. for the evening for these for this uh event well, I think probably I, you may have, you know, when you're talking to Dustin, you probably got the impression that we're a pretty casual bunch, us Kiwis. We're, we're pretty relaxed. So actually, I'm sure there will be some people that are maybe some of the actors from Actors Equity will be sort of dressed to the nines. But for the most part, it'll be T-shirt and jeans. And that's probably... Anybody uh, else from your film going to be there? From uh... Uh, Yes. So um, Leisha Ward-Knox, who's the lead who plays Jenny, um, 
who plays my uh, uh, love interest, and she's yeah, she's fantastic. She's actually uh, popping by here beforehand, and we're going to uh, head off to um, the awards together. So. You could have timed it a little bit better. We could have had a cameo. I, I, I thought, yeah, well, she's she only messaged me just before we started and said, hey, should I come by before? I thought we were going to meet there. She was like, hey, can I come by beforehand and we'll go together? So otherwise, unfortunately, but, you know, there's always next time. I, I imagine she okay. may well be in my next film. That so, would be, a, uh, I like that idea. You know, yeah. again, hearkening back to the golden age of Hollywood, you would have, yes. I just, I, I fell in love um, because I was watching all these Cary Grant films in mm. preparation as well as reading the book. So, you know, I'm, I'm very committed to prepare yes. to being prepared, but, and I was watching, and, you know, I have a certain affection for particular leading ladies. Um, I, well, leading men too, but I, I, of course, have a warm spot for, and uh, I, I've always loved like uh, Myrna Loy and uh, Jean Arthur, you know, they, they were yes. my, like, if I was alive, then those are what I would have probably been trying to figure yeah. out. Is there some sort of a, uh, show i could do from home if only we had technology and i could uh <laughs> you know well, now i can but they're long gone unfortunately yes. but i've only kind of now somebody has moved up it's like a chess game where somebody has maneuvered to the front of the uh the, the queue there which is uh irene dunn and i guess i just rewatched a couple of the films that carrie granted with her uh one of which is called my favorite wife and uh she's just so adorable i mean it's just but so my point being and there's a, usually a point i usually forget what the point is but it is that you can create this you know classic kind of um couple uh in down in a new zealand there in, I, uh, I i certainly i certainly hope so and i will also just add that i'm a huge fan of cary grant myself um and we do sort of reference a cary grant film um oh. in older uh, the film that we sort of uh, that he's watching on screen uh, is quite oh. similar to His Girl Friday, but right. uh, is, is that uh, is a good one, uh, uh, and that's probably my favorite of his. But that's um, Rosalind Russell. Yes, and she is absolutely uh, that, the, that's a phenomenal film, and I also know that uh, Leisha is a huge fan of all his rom coms as well. His oh, uh, so well, is that well, connection well, there as well? Um, but yes. His Girl Friday is probably my favorite, I think. Or maybe I, I do like Arsenic and Old Lace, which is a little bit different. But It is, you know. And he, um, I, I I saw that many times as a kid. I went to a, mm. this summer camp upstate New York, not too far from where I am, actually. But And they used to show that film on 16 millimeter on rainy nights. Right. During the summer, because they just had that in their little small, their small library. So... I used to see that when I was a kid and I really loved the, I thought it was just really entertaining. And actually Cary Grant is very self-critical of that particular. Really? Yeah. Because he feels he's too over the top, but he's he so, con- he's so <laughs> and he is, but if you really commit, it can yeah. work. I a hundred percent agree. Um, so I, nothing to, uh, that's I, interesting. He thought that, but I guess he yeah. is. But he's um, he's so good at it in, in, in all of that stuff, and I, yeah. And I, I ended the conversation on with uh, my, you know, Elaine. I'm not a Brewster. I'm <laughs> I'm the son of a I'm the son of a sea captain, whatever it was. It's a great film. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll I'll see you soon, and have a good evening. Thank you very much. I'm not stupid. No, it's not like that. Trust me. You're cool if we're not. 
totally exclusive. Why do you always have to label everything? To my new best friend on her birthday. Are you still doing work? Can I come over? This isn't one of your stories and everything is going to turn out just as you planned. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just going to run away again when things get too tough. I know you, Alex. You're just a boy. One day soon it'll all be gone. Well, no one can be prepared for getting old. That's what I'm afraid of. Armand White is, you know, he's sort of a notorious figure in the criticism world. I mean, he's been around for many decades now, and uh, I should, I call him a film critic. He's actually a culture critic. I should, I should stipulate that because he also writes a lot about music and has written books, I think, about, about music, uh, musicians like uh, Prince for instance. So he, he's a, a culture critic. He writes for the National Review and Out magazines. He was previously the editor of City Arts and uh, one of the main contributors of film criticism uh, to the alternative Newsweekly and the New York Press back in the day, among many other impressive publications. He's been a, a, a central voice in film and music criticism for for a long time. So his new book is called Make Spielberg Great Again. We touched on it when he was here talking about the Press Gang book, and, and, and I invited him on to the show during that conversation, actually. So here it is. This is a, his our conversation about Spielberg and more uh, here on Film Lines Radio. I guess uh, we could start with where we left. We left off uh, with uh, the press gang a few weeks ago, or a couple months back. Sure. And you were telling me that you were. This was, be- I guess, at the time this was being printed, correct? Yeah. Right. So, so it's finally arrived. Make Spielberg great again. I guess the first thing that I remember we we started talking about it even during that conversation. How you and Spielberg, your both of your careers coincided, and that was part of what drove you to collect the put together these um, the reviews and articles from over the years well yeah um the, sure well i've, I've the, the time frame itself right well yeah yeah it, it came together that way i i've been embarking on a on a series of books about artists i care about i did a i call them chronicles and i did one on michael jackson i did one on prince and spielberg is the first filmmaker I've done it for, where I, where in each one of those chronicles, I collect the writings I've done on that artist uh, throughout my career. Yeah, so happened though, uh, unlike Prince and Michael Jackson, uh, my writing career coincided with Spielberg's filmmaking, theatrical filmmaking career. So I felt that this was a, this was a good parallel and a good way to, to chart both of our movements over all that time, from 74 what is, on. 
Yeah, right. Uh, what is that like for you? Is it typical for you to look back at your early writings regardless? What was it like putting this together? Have your, do you feel, uh, do you connect still with that writer uh, from the mid seventies? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I'm the same person. <laughs> and, yeah. and in the case of Spielberg, uh, my, my opinions and my feelings about his movies uh, have not changed from the beginning, except in, in one particular case. Uh, I feel the way about his movies that I always did. Okay, can I guess, was that Jaws or? No, no, I'm I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still okay. not, a, not a great Jaws fan. Uh, I, I recognize the skill in it. I recognize the wit in it and, yeah. and the intelligence as well. That's That's never changed. The films that that I have a changed feeling about are uh, are 1941 and uh, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Those two, mm-hmm. but but especially uh, 1941, I guess. Well, to a more positive feeling for it. Yes, yes, in both those yeah. cases, uh, Temple of Doom. What, what... Every time I see it, I think more and more and more of it. And uh, and I've come to accept what 1941 is, and that's and that's a positive thing. Uh, when I first saw it in 1979, I was thrown by it. it. It seemed, well, you know, coming right after the the masterful Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I expected Spielberg to uh, to do a to do a kind of uh, Griffith Langian. Uh, Antonioni kind of thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. My, my regard for his seriousness uh, knew no limit after Close Encounters. So I expected the next film to be serious to be in that same sense, and it wasn't different. Uh, it's a comedy, which which threw me at first. I've come to accept that now. Uh, so that, Well, it couldn't have been just the fact that it was a comedy. Maybe it was also because, I mean, it's one of those big sloppy, well... Well, that was sloppy. It's, just, just, it's, I should say messy. It's, it's a like, mess of a film in a some level. It's tonally maybe or otherwise. It's kind of, kind of. It does. I don't. I don't look at the, maybe sloppy isn't the right word. Sloppy has definitely got a, an absolute negative connotation. Whereas messy, is a little different in my mind. It uh, mess can be a. It actually almost like a positive thing sometimes. You know, it's it's sometimes it's it's refreshing to watch a big messy movie if it's. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Getting I, don't, it I, don't, I, don't I don't. I don't. I don't respond to messy, but it's it it it's kind of a in itself. It's a carnival. There's there's a lot of things going on in it, uh, and sometimes Spielberg. I've noticed in certain at certain points of his career, uh, he has a a fondness for for uh, <laughs> for big for big explosions for uh, big. Uh, for 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 big for a carnivalesque show business attitude of of just of, of overloading what he does, and uh, that's what I've come to accept in 1941. I wasn't I wasn't ready for it in 1979. The movie hasn't changed. My attitude towards it has changed, and to the toward toward positive acceptance of it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other examples maybe where that impulse that you're describing with 1941 comes up again. Well, I can I can put it, it. I can give you this this example. Uh right after yeah. 1941, 
uh, Spielberg made his appearance in John Landis's The Blues Brothers. And he makes his appearance in The Blues Brothers probably at the climactic point of that film's uh, Hell's a Pop and Hullabaloo. Because I think something about making a Hell's a Pop and Hullabaloo appeals to Spielberg. And, uh, and it's right, it's obviously it's right there in 1941. I just wasn't willing to accept it when I first saw it. But I, I, I get that that's part, of his that's part of his filmmaking personality. That's part of the kind, of, that's one of the kinds of humor that he genuinely responds to. Uh, massive kineticism and, and activity uh, nonstop. Uh, even, as, even bits of that poke through in, uh, in The Color Purple. And that, that's where it's kind of atonal. But I, I, I would take, I would differ with the idea of ever calling his work messy or out of tone. He's always, as a filmmaker, always in control of his tone and knows exactly what he's going for all the time, which I think is, is part of what makes him a remarkable filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I guess when you're being very ambitious and the film maybe falls short of succeeding with all your ambitions, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at when I say messy. You know, I, like, uh, but, but, I don't even see um, as, as a negative or a pejorative. I, I can't, I, so I can't, yeah. I can't apply, I cannot apply that to 1941. I just think it's, yeah, it's full, full of lots of activity, lots of, lots of comic business. Right. In, in Vaudeville. And, I, and um, I, I was expecting the great spiritual master of uh, Close Encounters to continue in that vein, but he showed me <laughs> that there's more to him than that. Well, the title, which, you know, is sort of carries with it a certain amount of uh, connotation, Make Spielberg Great Again. It's a very specific title, obviously, not only because it makes reference to Make America Great Again, but it's also critical of Spielberg. So you're leading with being critical in the title. Yes. Well, as, the, as one reads through the book and as those pieces were assembled, uh, a certain fact arises, and that is uh, a certain decline in his filmmaking. Uh -huh. Not ever a technical decline, but I think a, no. a, a he, he's lost a certain a certain uh, fundamental touch with popular with popular experience and popular taste as as his latest films have gotten more political as well mm -hmm. and unfortunately this was an intriguing thing at the beginning of his career in the middle of his career and it's become i think an unfortunate thing more recently but it seems to me right from reading again reading those uh, earlier articles mm -hmm. that what you connected so deep what you what, what you were moved by was his ability his is is a level of unabashed unapologetic humanity on you know it it can can sometimes get awfully close to sentimentality, but he sort of has a as you as you already said, he's a master of tone typically, and so you can kind of avoid that, you know. Um, but it's this uh, sheer level level of humanity in the films, right? Well, that's that's always very moving. Uh, yeah, in his. In his first films and certainly up 
to and including Warhorse. Uh-huh. And uh, after that, I think his films became much more politically focused, and uh, and the the yeah. undeniable, the, ir- the irrefutable humanism of his films uh, were overtaken. Is lost. Making political. Yeah. Being ideological. Yes, sure. That I consider a decline, and I would want him to return to the former humane greatness. And he has taken bigger risks than most people may recall. I mean, also, because, you know, you, you think of him on the surface as somebody who's typically, because of maybe, you know, the amount of power and uh, influence and, and money he has at his fingertips, you know, but we, 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 I remember very specifically when The Color Purple came out and how controversial it was that, that he uh, made this film. And I'm trying to remember who was, who are the people that were having a problem with it? <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't remember anymore, except for maybe film most, critics. Most mainstream film critics had a problem with it. Yeah. Uh, the public never did. By by and large, the public never right. and yeah. I guess we could we could measure it some to some degree by its, you know, the film's eleven Academy Award nominations. That that suggests that there was some sort of admiration for it. Yeah, and of course, it did not but, win one of those eleven nominations. So mm-hmm. then there you can almost read that as a kind of rejection or criticism of the film. But the overall, the nominations mean people liked it. Uh, just critics who didn't like it, because that, it's always been the case with Spielberg that uh, most critics think they're smarter than he is. Uh, they think they're not sentiment; they're above sentimentality, they're above emotion, which is, I think, the basic reason why uh, quote intellectual unquote critics don't like his work mm-hmm. superior to it. But uh, and there's a resentment too that he participated in the. Uh, commercialization, the steroidal level of commercialization of, of the movie industry, right? Yeah. Jaws. Well, they, well, maybe well, there was a... I, I think one of, one of the themes that emerges in the book, in the collection of writing, is that uh, most film reviewers don't understand the medium they're writing about. Uh, they don't understand that uh, commercial filmmaking, which in a sense is to say popular filmmaking, uh, can be a good thing. And throughout mm-hmm. the book, uh, I, I make, I think, uh, essential analogies between Spielberg and D.W. Griffith. And I noticed, yeah. I want to stress the point for those who are not aware that uh, filmmaking can be a popular art form and that this is when American filmmaking is at its best. Uh, Griffith is an example of that. Spielberg is an example of that. Uh, so-called intellectual critics don't realize that, which is why they, I think, condemn what they see as Spielberg's commercialism. But uh, yes, he, he's working in a in a commercial industry, but he functions as an artist in that industry, as a popular artist uh, who, who respects the intelligence of his audience, as Griffith did. Uh, he never directs films simply to make money. Every film he has directed is a film that expresses some aspect of his personality and his experience. It doesn't seem like he's controversial anymore in that way that the film critics 
Eric seem to have fully embraced him. Maybe, maybe your point is emphasized by the fact that, uh, or that is because a uh, uh, proof rather that maybe this came about the time of Lincoln, maybe a little earlier than that, where all of a sudden now, you know, he's fully embraced by as he's become more of an ideological, ideologically driven filmmaker storyteller. That now the critics find him. <laughs> You know, that'd be faultless. They embraced Lincoln. They embraced uh, the Post, as far as I can remember. These films. Yes. And as, as right. We, sad to say, most reviewers are wrong again. Once they've come to embrace Spielberg, it's, it's when his films are, are less effective. Uh, it's good, less well thought out, even. Uh, the last... In fact, uh, the most, the last most recent films that got a controversial critical response, I'd say, were uh, Munich and uh, Crystal Skull and uh, possibly Tintin. And these are among his most, I think, these are among his most fascinating films. But, uh, you know, uncomprehending critics don't get them. They praise junk like The Post. And the post is not commercial junk. Most is, uh, the post is purely ideological junk. But that's mm-hmm. what that's what reviewers like, because uh, their own their own politics are appeased by that film, and they forget how spotty uh, mm. the thinking is in it, and the lack the lack of I would say the lack of <laughs> the lack of humanity that's in it. I see. Right, and then uh, it's also in the same sort of you have the position that. Th- that uh, when it comes to D.W. Griffiths, who you brought up, that they will look back at now and look at the guy who made a birth of a na- the birth of a nation, right, and call him a racist mm-hmm. filmmaker. Yeah. Right, and that's that's just in a simplistic and ignorant response to that film. Uh, they don't know, you know, any, anyone who says that about Birth of a Nation doesn't know Birth of a Nation. And they come to it with, uh, you know, with preformed judgments. They don't respond to it as a work of art, and it's a complicated work of art for sure. But to just dismiss it as racist is not to understand it. But he was punished by uh, stripping his name from. Yes, yes, yes. From... A, a, an unfortunate event that Spielberg signed on to. In fact, he did. Uh, which I guess was the, was the beginning of his decline. <laughs> In a, in a way. Oh yes. yeah. So this was, I believe, it was uh, it was 1989, so or ni- 98, 98 or 99 around then. Uh-huh. And the Directors Guild decided to, you know, uh, at the urging of one of its lesser members, <laughs> to uh, take D.W. Griffith's name off the Directors Guild awards. Award. Signed on to it, as if as if that profession, as if that guild would ever exist without Griffith. And I mean that, that was in a way that was an example of the beginning of cancel culture, uh, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Which also just kind of serves to erase what happened without looking at it closely. And and so it, instead of turning it into maybe an opportunity for conversation, for debate, for discourse, you're just uh, erasing it from history altogether. Sure. And uh, the, and that's the kind well, of that's the kind of politics that has ruined his latest film. That he seems to be a, trying to appease a certain political faction, rather than instructing people, reminding people of their own humanity, 
for their own complex humanity and of reminding people of what art can do, what art can reveal to us. I know, speaking of which. Pardon me? Sorry, sorry, Armand. Uh, I was just having an argument with my son last night over this because he's, you know, for now the second or third time he's being, uh, uh, he's, he's assigned to read To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. And, you know, I understand, you know, this is uh, about, now he's coming out here. He's, and he knows who you are, Armand. Do you want to tell, tell Armand yourself? Bye. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you. Uh, he's familiar with your uh, your work, apparently. Oh, good day. All right. <laughs> he he describes you as the 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 critic who uh, disagrees with all the other critics. <laughs> Somehow he knows that. I don't know. He learned that. Didn't come from me. <laughs> but um, you know, it's I I I wear that as a badge of honor. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I can tell you. I felt I could share that with you. But, uh, uh, well, you know, it's this whole idea of what, you know, to, I just to make him comfortable when, you know, and I, I makes me comfortable too, to replace the N word by saying the N word, Mm -hmm. you know, which is used throughout the book, you know, and, but it, if, to me, it's kind of nuts because if you look at it as it's, if you erase it, then you're not representing truth and you're removing the opportunity to have a, a more, uh, you know, nuanced conversation about racism, et cetera. And, and, and knowing what people were, were like during that time and what, how, you know, people spoke. So, you know, it's, it's, I kind of look at it similarly to the removing of a, like the name of D.W. Griffiths, for instance, who was at, at his time in the twenties, like, like Spielberg stature, right? in the culture right yes he he was the uh first first great american filmmaker and as i like to think of him as the first great populist artist because he understood what people wanted from art and what art could give them which essentially is a, a deeper understanding of themselves and an understanding of how they are like others and when we start when the culture starts to censor works of art, even at the, the uh, middle brow level of To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, they take away that, that beautiful function of, of art, that the beautiful way that art can reveal ourselves to ourselves and reveal others to ourselves. And uh, to try to make art politically correct is to censor it and to produce uh, propaganda, not art. So uh, taking Spielberg, taking Griffith's name away from the DW, from the uh, Directors Guild Awards, taking words out of Killer Bockingbird and even Huckleberry Finn, uh, is right. to damage the art and also to to mar or to to to, uh, to uh, <laughs> insult the intelligence of the reader. Compromise. Oh well, yeah, for sure. And, and, and you know, of all of all professions, school teachers should be the first to be against that. That's right. But as we as we recently see, a lot of teachers are out for themselves more than anything else, or out they they become ideological as well. Well, there's so, a lot of pressure. There's a it's tantamount. Now you know, we know that that it's it's at a level that's kind of insane. So any pushback is really you have to admire anybody pushes back against it because it takes a lot of guts. Yeah. I mean, there you know maybe the pendulum will swing back to some degree. 
I'm the one, I was thinking about it the the round of time. In fact, because the color purple came out, what year? Eighty five. Eighty five. Nineteen eighty five. Which is really at the cusp of this first real wave of political politically correct uh, and culture. I think eighty mid eighties was really becoming a major thing in our culture. Politically correct language on campuses. Would you say? Oh, I don't know when it, I can, I can, it's hard to remember when it wasn't there, <laughs> but uh, sure. Um, <laughs> our perspectives may be a little different. It's true. And and so I look at like Spielberg's when the color purple came out was an example of where I don't even think people had developed a real language for it yet, except for saying this should be made by a black filmmaker. And I wonder if he, on some level, even though he was rewarded for the color purple and it was a, a really powerful film uh, if it didn't still have some sort of effect on him going forward. You know? I, I, uh, I'm, I worry that what might have had an, an effect on Spielberg were the accusations that the film was inauthentic or sentimental and uh, that he might have responded to that poorly by not returning to a to a black subject again, and uh, he—I think he might have listened to the wrong people. Mm. He, should, he should pay attention. He should pay attention instead to the enormous well, popularity of, of the color purple, that, which has never waned. Um, the book is the book is has a has a dedication in it, and I'm willing to explain that to you. It has to do it has to do with this question. The it's uh, dedicated to Melvin Van Peebles. Yep. And here's why. Uh, back when The Color Purple came out in 85, it, it was controversial. Uh, so-called intellectual critics didn't like it. And a lot of uh, politically correct black people. Uh, I think you're referring possibly to Spike Lee, but go ahead. As I, as I joke, well, not well, better and other than him, uh, I called, I refer to these folks as spokespeople. <laughs> Some black, some black spokespeople didn't like it, and uh, so there was controversy about it. And I appeared at a panel discussion in Harlem about the film, and uh, I also I also did a uh, there was a black TV show, public affairs show here in New York that I appeared on, and uh, there were a number of spokespeople on that panel, and there was also Melvin Van Peebles on the panel. Although Melvin Van Peebles was not in the studio, he had, he was via satellite. And uh, the the host of the show went around the panel and uh, asked each of us our opinions on the color purple. And then when he got to Melvin Van Peebles, I think the host felt that I've got a good question here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. Gonna, that... I'm going to finish the movie with Melvin, the controversial Melvin Van Peebles. Right. You're going to get some good television now. Yeah. yeah. And so he asked. He, so he asked. He said, uh, Melvin, don't you wish you should have had the opportunity to direct the color purple? And I, Melvin Van Peebles gave an answer that I loved then, love now, shows his genius. He said, I only wish I could have directed it as well as Spielberg did. Mm. And by that answer, Melvin Van Peebles showed me and showed everyone that he understood what art is for. And he also, he also happened to understand Spielberg's art. And he, he realized and he knew that the color purple was quite an achievement uh, 
beautifully done, intelligently done. Um, and I think Malcolm Van Peebles answer answered all Spielberg's critics, I think, definitively. Just go in to the movie. Try not to go in with preconceptions. Very difficult to do, especially if you're if you're interested in cinema, you read about cinema, you're going to, you know, you're going to hear things. But if you go in and have your emotional, pure emotional experience and you come out and you're honest, that's your point, right? What is that? That's what you should be in touch with. Yes, that's, that, well, that's part of my point because I think, I think uh, I like to refer to Van people's response, uh, his, his lack of envy and his mm-hmm. admiration because I think he also understood that Spielberg didn't only make an emotionally effective film and artistically effective film, but he made a film that was uh, aesthetically radical, as many of Melvin Van Peebles' films have been. I think he understood that and respected that. Because yeah. I, I, So I'm saying one can go into the Code of Purple right. and simply respond to it as soap opera, which is, which is not a pejorative. I, I mean that in the, in the, with the highest respect. But one could also look at it for its for its modernist sophistication, because it's full of all the things that Spielberg and the the filmmakers, the American Renaissance filmmakers, as I call them, of his generation. It's full of things that they know about the history of art, the history of cinema, and how how throughout cinematic history, uh, women, black people, have been portrayed, and how their experiences can be transmitted to others. Uh, the film is full, I mean, it tells the story that Alice Walker wrote in her novel, but it's also full of references, plain references to Griffith, to John Ford, uh, to Douglas Sirk. It's full of them. And that's the, I think that's part of the sophistication that Melvin Van Peebles also acknowledged. Hmm. I said before, I think Color Purple may have, the, the backlash may have had, like, uh, made him a little uneven, uneasy, rather, or perhaps... But it also opened him up. Um, he really never made. He, he going forward, he could not erase the the his own personal growth, having made that film and having taken such a leap, and not made something so safe. It, safe in the sense of his. This is his. You know, this is in his set of tools that you know, like a uh, ET, uh, even nineteen forty one. Uh, Close Encounters, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark. But then going forward, he kind of realized he has an an incredible opportunity, maybe even an obligation. I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, I feel like that definitely impacted or, you know, had an impact on his making his sequels to uh, uh, Indiana Jones movies and other films also. I think he said in some interview that he could not have made Schindler's List if he had not done The Color Purple first. And I think yeah. the color purple was also in a way it was it was it was a way for him to to learn how to deal with ideas about race and uh, and oppression and and so it was a very necessary project for him to embark upon to expand his own filmmaking to expand his thinking as a human being and uh, you know <laughs> he did it successfully and 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 that led him into I think. As he, well, as he said, it led him to Schindler's List. Can you pinpoint when things... I know you said it was maybe with... Uh, what was it? Was it with Lincoln, where kind of he got off track? Or maybe 
No, it was all, it was all, good. It was all good up until Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln is the turning <laughs> point. That's where yeah. they went sour. You even write a, a piece about his short documentary about Obama. Right. That's, that's post-Lincoln. Yes. Yeah. And no, I know. Uh, Lincoln's yeah. where it went sour. Lincoln is, is the most blatantly ideological film that he had made to that point. And that has to do, uh, oh, uh, has to do with his, uh, obviously has to do with his collaboration with the screenwriter of Lincoln, uh, Tony Cushman, mm. with whom uh, they, had, they had collaborated very nicely on Munich. Mm. It was also a, a very controversial film for, for among Spielberg haters, but, uh, but I think a very strong and an effective film, uh, not just as a, as a kind of Jewish ethnic expression, but also as an expression, as a film dealing with the uh, with the morality, with more with the morals involved in politics, and with the uh, the morality of killing, mm-hmm. to be specific, and uh, and so Tony Kushner, his collaboration Tony, Tony Kushner unit was very effective, but then uh, somebody somebody got uh, full of themselves on the second collaboration. I think it was Kushner. Uh, <laughs> his, uh, his 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 agenda, his admitted his admittedly communist agenda on Spielberg, and a, a communist agenda that also included a a negative view of American history, and a uh, and that's where that's where the trouble started with Spielberg's career. I think and there hasn't been any point of redemption since. No, no, all, all the films afterwards then seem to each trying to be more ideological than the last. Uh, more America critical than the previous one, and uh, unfortunate. And then, uh, then, there, then the uh, then you know, uh, Lincoln is where it, where it went, where it went wrong, because Lincoln obviously is not just it's not merely a film about Abraham Lincoln. It's also clearly a, a veiled film about Barack Obama, and the politics associated with that are undeniable. And even though it took the it took the writers of the New York Times a full year to realize it, it's they're undeniable, and it's that kind of Obama idolatry that then began to began to shrink the humanism in Spielberg's work. Well, again, your book is called "Make a Spielberg Great Again: The Steven Spielberg Chronicles." You you started with right with Sugarland Express, which was his first feature. 1974, which was written for the South End. What was that? Uh, the South End is a is the newspaper for my undergraduate college, Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan, and I was the film critic there and uh, the arts editor there uh, throughout wow. my throughout my undergraduate years. And do you uh, have your drivers? <laughs> hmm? I said you probably were just barely out of your teens then. Well, I was, well I was after high school, sure, I, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you have? Did you have, up to that point? Were you thinking about being a critic? Were you thinking about um, writing? Oh, I'd want. I'd. I'd. Uh, I'd responded to film criticism rather rather early. I think uh, in high school when I came across uh, "Kiss Kiss Bang Bang" by Pauline Kael. Uh-huh. And I, I realized that uh, that movies could be written about in an intelligent way, in a serious way, mm-hmm. and uh, that 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 was a revelation to me. 
and it, it made me want to do that. And not just not just about movies though. You know, my my other cultural passion is right. popular music. So sure. I, I I I understood that one could write about uh, the art that one enjoyed, movies and music, in an intelligent way, and not a, not as a uh, not as a as a consumer guide, but one could write about one's personal feelings about movies, and also in also in criticism, try to explore my own response to film. And uh, so, you know, when I when I don't mind that your son says I'm I'm the one who doesn't agree with other critics. Uh, the basic point of that is that I, I'm, most other reviewers don't consider criticism seriously. They don't think it's an art form, and I do think it's an art form, and I do think it's something to be taken seriously, and I do think it's not just writing about one's response to the product that Hollywood is selling. I'm always trying to understand the movies that I'm dealing with and try to figure out how it works contextually, etc. Figure out my response to it, mm -hmm. and uh, that's that's what I always wanted to do. I, I didn't I didn't ever want to put my thumbs up or down about a movie. I didn't want to leave it at that. I wanted to I wanted to write about movies as a way of as a way of personal expression and as a way of dealing with a very rich and complex art. Well, how do you think uh, Spielberg might respond to your book or to your thesis? Well, I, I, I would I would love him to consider it, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think I think there's there's enough indication that I I understand what he's doing for him to take it seriously, and to know that I'm I'm not a shill. I'm, I'm not here. I'm not here right. to praise him. I'm here to respect his artistry, and and deal with it in a serious manner. Uh, you know, you know. You, uh, were you, uh, the, in the back, in the, the last, the last uh, entry in the press gang book, I, I, I write about my, my, uh, my address to the New York Film Critics Circle in the last year that I was chairman there, and uh, and I quote Annette Bening's speech at that at that particular award ceremony, and Annette Bening says a very, I thought, a very thoughtful thing. Essentially, she says that critics and filmmakers are not enemies, that uh, they need each other. That's a kind of symbiotic relationship. And I think that's the way that criticism ought to be understood and appreciated. Um, nobody's paying me to, to praise filmmakers and to congratulate them for, for being rich folks who get to do what they want to do. Uh, my job as a critic is is to function with the within the culture with other film with filmmakers and to try to understand what they're doing and to try to be honest enough with the public to let the public know that uh, you have a responsibility as a viewer to to be thinking as you watch movies and and that as a as a thinking viewer you should demand you should demand that filmmakers be honest and that filmmakers be as creative as possible and not fall for cliches not fall for formula and be a thoughtful viewer. Well, and of course, you can't really have make those demands unless you're willing to make them for yourselves as a critic, right? Sure. sure. That's your I, point. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I sit in one seat. <laughs> I see with my own pair of eyes, no one else's. And I think as a, um, you know, I think Spielberg would probably be, if he took that 
scenario where you just go in and you have a very authentic experience and you try to filter out any kind of other entity or people's opinions and you just have that experience. If he read your book of reviews and got out of his own way, maybe he would see just how, how deeply you care about him as an artist and would be open to your, your, your idea, your, your, or your criticism of him, you know, ultimately. Well, he should. More, yeah. He should. He should. So therefore I'm, I'm urging you to send him a copy if you haven't already done it. <laughs> well, he should. You know what? I uh, another film critic who I think of as a mentor is Andrew Saris, and I remember Saris commenting one time about a a book of criticism, saying that he didn't he didn't understand why one would waste one's time writing an entire book about a filmmaker you don't like. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I, I I could I can see it, <laughs> but I, but I like I like the fact that Saris said it that way. And there's something to it, and uh, uh-huh. so I, you know, I didn't write a book as a Spielberg basher. I, that, this is a book of, of respect for serious artists, and with, with serious concern about how he has gone wrong. And of course, there's there's always there's always a possibility for redemption. There's always a possibility for improvement. And uh, gosh, there's a possibility that he that he can shake off the bad influence of Tony Kushner, and make great films again. Uh, make films that are that, that are full of vision in terms of how human beings behave and you know, the mystery of humanity and and the wonder the wonder of, of filmmaking which is what he which is what he has in common with D.W. Griffith more people need to see Griffith's films to not just to understand this point that I'm making but to understand what's possible in, in cinema I you know I wrote a piece on Griffith's intolerance for National Review uh, a couple of years back on the uh, centenary, centennial of, of, of uh, intolerance. I still think it's the greatest film ever made and not enough people know it. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the ideologues, they, they hear the name Griffith and the first thing they say is the birth of a nation, but they know nothing about his greatest film and people should know that. Spielberg, I bet, knows it. <laughs> I bet so, and, uh, yeah. I guess I'm working, I'm, I'm working up to that point, my, my favorite Griffith quote, where he says, uh, my aim is to make you see. And I can't think of any of any contemporary filmmaker whose movies are so visually uh, visually exciting and astounding as Spielberg's have been, frankly. Uh, going to a Spielberg movie when they were, when they were great was always a, a, like an adventure in, in, in using your eyes and, 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 and seeing exactly what what that wide screen in front of you could could display. Mm. And, uh, that's that's just about a lost art these days. It'd be it would be wonderful if he if he got it back, if he, you know, if he got his groove back. <laughs> well you're uh, you can uh get um, a copy of Make Spielberg Great Again, I suppose where books are sold. Well at Amazon. They're sold there. Okay, at Amazon. That's basically where books are sold these days. I yeah, assume. <laughs> That's true. It's published by the Resistant Works, and um, and is is it? Did they publish your Prince book too? Yes. And your the Prince book also and the Michael Jackson book. What what's can I ask? Is it is it? Um, a, do you know what your next uh, collection will be, or 
I got I got several Revisiting. ideas. I got several ideas that I'm working on. So I I I'd like not to say them now, or else it'll, it'll take some of the understood. Sure. But God willing, there's there's another to come. There's more to come. Well, thanks for for chatting uh, today, and uh, glad we were able to work it out. Thank you for asking, and thanks for yeah. reading. I, I you know I love the, I love the, I love to have a reader. That's, that's so yeah, no, I yeah. I mean, it's you you opened my eyes to some things I, as well, and and gave words to some of my feelings about Spielberg. I don't think my expectations were as you know where yours were, and and maybe and, and the disappointment, but but I can I really can appreciate it. Well, what, what do you mean? What do you mean disappointment? Oh, I just mean, well, you know how he turned a corner that you're unhappy with. And I'm just like, maybe I just, I didn't have him as one of my guys, you know, so he didn't, the, um, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't really remember Lincoln too well, but, um, which says a lot, I suppose. But, and then certainly I didn't, I did not care for the post or for um, Radio Player One. I sort of felt but I didn't feel a disappointment in Spielberg at the same time as all I'm trying to say. Cause I, I don't think I had it was thinking along in those terms, you know, what, would, what, what film of his do you like the best? I would have to say that I still am like, I showed close encounters to my son. I think it was earlier this year or last or late last year. I can't remember exactly. And it still really just had a huge, you know, it still held as much power as it did. It holds up, you know. There's, it's just such an exciting thing to watch, uh, an experience. Yeah, I, 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 sure, I sure get that. And I ask you that because, to me, uh, basically, one way of understanding uh, the mission of the book, the title of the book, is that uh, what what he what he achieved in Close Encounters, he has, he has not been achieving lately. No, and uh, and in fact, I would I would say that the level of level of vision in Close Encounters is is pretty much like the kind of vision that is in War of the Worlds. But uh, and that's I think is another example of as well as AI, and I think those are uh-huh. those are two of his late career peaks, even though. Uh, critics didn't seem to like either of those as i think back on it now i know i was always surprised i thought war of the worlds was terrific i i i, I remember really really enjoying that oh yes I, I think it's i think it's enormously powerful uh and uh <laughs> it's, it's, what can you it's, do it's, it's almost hard it's almost hard to take i i find it i find it so effective uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. It, 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 i think it kind of uh Dream or nightmarish response, I think to nine to uh, to to uh, nine eleven, and all mm-hmm. of those feelings and emotions, I think, are in it. But he finds a way to do it as, as a visionary filmmaker, telling a particular kind of story. And he's not at that level recently, um, so he's he's got to get back. He's got to, he ought to get and more. there's certainly certainly no lack of you know contexts. Sure. for making something to respond to right now yeah. what we're going through as a as a country as a world oh, a lot certainly. there and 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 uh you know another thing that i think that I, i'm glad 
I think uh, is, is chronicled and captured in the book is, uh, is a developing appreciation that I've had for, for Spielberg's work. Uh, when, it, when I, in the color purple section of the book, uh, there is a late piece in it that I wrote for Out Magazine, mm-hmm. where I, I talk specifically about the color purple as a, as a queer film, as a lesbian uh-huh. film. And these are ideas that I appreciated in 1985, but uh, in, uh, in the 2000s, those ideas are even more to be appreciated. And I think it, that's an example of what, what is great about Spielberg's humanism, that people who uh, undervalue him don't quite appreciate. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was glad to be able to, to return to The Color Purple and point that out. Yeah, I've been meaning to, uh, since I read your book, I've actually been meaning to look at it again. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. also to say... It's always that, a good thing. That, that, you know, his, the themes, the subject of The Color Purple were not done for political reasons. He made that film because he felt it. And he, right. he needs to get back to that rather than right. ideological. Because he's smart, uh, enough, he's, he's smart enough as the color purple crew, smart enough to, to do it the right way. Yeah, it's uh, an incredibly, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, just an ebullient film. Oh, sure. Full of emotion. And, yeah, uh, lots of emotion. And, 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 and vision. And, and intelligence about film art right and 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 full great feeling uh the scene towards the end one of the last scenes where where see the seely character she just she says a simple word that i find to be so moving she says a family and uh you know that that's not something that is not something that black lives matter cares for but it's something that is essential to all of us and there it is in the color purple and i it would be great if Spielberg could get back to regain the confidence of saying that to the popular audience again, that the family matters. There it is. Thank you. Well, thank you. I, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you about it. Thank you. Uh, you bet. Next time we'll, we'll do it again. Okay, cool. All right. Be good. <laughs> you too. Have a good evening ahead. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks.
again, Happy New Year to everyone. My uh, hopes for a very, very healthy and happy, safe year ahead goes to you all. Thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, for reaching out to me through a very difficult year. Some of you know I lost my father this year. It was a tough year, but a good one in some ways as well. Um, I moved out of New York City this year, but I made new friends and, um, you know, learned so much this year. And I value learning and expanding myself as a human being, even if there's anger in there as well. Um, I think it's a good, it's a great thing. You know, to evolve, to grow, to learn. Uh, because as much as you learn about the outside world, you learn about the inside world. Um, and that can only help you. Right? I'm 57. Um, I feel like I'm just scraping the surface here. But um, we'll we'll have another show in a few days. Next week. Brand new show. New guests. Looking forward to that. Brand new year. By the way, 2021, 10th year of Film Wax. Not only Film Wax Radio, the podcast, which was, or let's just call it a show, since it wasn't to start as a podcast, uh, but also uh, uh, since Film Wax as an, a thing <laughs> started. Um, Back in uh, tw- uh, 2011, in Park Slope, as a film series, a little film series, uh, it was called film, the Film Wax Film Series, and um, which evolved into an audio show. Ten years ago, not ten years ago, January 1st, but this is this year will be the tenth year anniversary. So we'll have some sort of some sort of uh, celebration of that later in the year. Uh, but uh, if you're listening, uh, I think it's going to be a great year. Uh, there's uh, plans to broaden the uh, what I'm doing here in a few different ways. Um, I, I don't know what will flesh out, what won't. You know the best laid plans. But uh, we'll have more news. There are definitely uh, some exciting things ahead for this particular year. Um, and um, with fingers crossed and any luck, we'll achieve most of what we plan to do. I hope the same for you guys. Uh, feel free to reach out. You know, there is on the Film Wax Radio website a, uh, a contact link to send emails. They come to me. I read every single email. I respond to almost every single email. I, uh if not every email, and um, I'm I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, I do re- respond through those of my by, by my own name as well as uh, through Filmwax Filmwax Radio platform on every platform, and um, you know Filmwax Filmwax TV is on YouTube. So if you do uh, Filmwax uh, YouTube.com/slash/FilmwaxRadio. You can look at all the uh, videos that have been going up over the last bunch of months. Let's say the second half of 2020. Uh, so, you know, 
you can engage with with film wax and it's 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 both welcome and appreciated uh have a very very happy new year to you your family your loved ones yourself most of all okay this is uh adam shartoff host of film wax radio take care of yourselves and the ones you love until next time Broken spring, broken idol.